Hi, uh, good morning, Ayer. Uh, welcome to another episode of uh, FinTech Fridays. Uh, Always glad to be here, Yaar. Yeah, Thanks I for know. having me on the podcast. Thank you, and it will. I I have to I have to ask you <laughs> or you know send signals. You please get me on that podcast, so it's okay. <laughs> well, not, not at all, not at all. I think you are always one of the first to have uh, come because you are the one who probably has influenced at least my thought process in fintech the maximum. So uh, it was just a question of time. So uh, the good thing is this is happening on a Friday as well. I have not been very right. keen on doing these on Fridays after naming it Friday. But uh, hopefully this will go on uh, after editing on Friday. Um, so uh, more importantly, I think there has been a break of about a month post the last one. And uh, uh, I would again call it maybe the year in break or something like that. So back after, uh, back in the new year, the first one in the new year. So uh, so yeah, let's let's get started. Hello, you, you started well. You started well. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, better late than never i think that's the guiding <laughs> philosophy so uh, right so let's get started uh, maybe to start with maybe a brief uh, background uh, about yourself for the listeners here uh, um, you know obviously i know you uh, but uh, you know uh, where do you come from what do you do uh, uh, and then we'll launch into a bit more of uh, fintech Right, so very quickly, I know by training a production engineer, then did an MBA quickly, so that washed away all my engineering. And uh, you know, uh, and in the engineering side, I actually focused a lot more on operations and technology uh, because you know, and uh, because I didn't want to do marketing and finance. And um, you know, for lifelong, I've had this uh, not great feeling about finance, and this is why I think I spent twenty-seven years of my life working in finance <laughs> or you know, finance affiliated <laughs> stuff. That's world's way, you know, God's way of I guess declaring. Uh, you know, uh, stuff. But um, yeah, so I, I, you know, I started my career in the consulting field, uh, spent about three years, realized that generating paper was not good for me or for the environment. Um, and then uh, in 94, uh, Valentine's Day, just decided to take a plunge to start a business. You know, in those days, it was not cool to call it a startup or I think. Yeah. It's now been 27 years uh, in this field. Um, and, you know, very strangely enough, I've been, I would say roughly the same space for the last 27 years, all about cash management, um, uh, you know, uh, trade financing and stuff like that. Uh, in a sense, this is my third startup. Um, and I think it's been a journey kind of working on the same line. I've rationalized this whole reason why I'm here to say that, you know, it's got something to do with supply chains um, and which is part of operations and of production, you know, but I, honestly speaking, I think I'm just here because it continues every day to throw up something interesting. So, you know, as long as it's interesting, it's as good a field as anything. So that's what I've done. So, I have very limited, uh, you know, um, knowledge of almost anything outside B2B trade and financing. So, uh, and that has made me very happy and contented because I didn't have to then read anything or anything else or understand at least anything or anything else. So, so that's, I think that's what we do. And I think uh, last, uh, I think uh, 10 odd years has been really about trying to get a little bit to the root of the problem as opposed to just kind of taking the easy way out and giving the software and systems to others. I think we've been trying to figure out how to get there. Uh, and I think that journey has been very, very interesting. Um, and of course, the company of some great people. So uh, that actually actually makes it more interesting than uh, even the original problem. Uh, but honestly speaking, I don't think I uh, ever got into finance or technology. And uh, while that might seem strange, uh, I'm, I'm not fascinated by either of them actually. 
Right. So, you know. Yeah. So I think uh, that that's, that's a good segue, actually. But before we get there, uh, you know, um, just to, just for benefit of the listeners, uh, Iyer heads uh, one of the largest uh, fintech companies, if one can call it that. Uh, it's called Vyana. Vyana is... Uh, uh, the largest supply chain financing technology platform in India and now present in Southeast Asia, um, US, and hopefully soon to other areas like Middle East uh, uh, and so on as well. Uh, I have had uh, uh, the luck and the pleasure to be working along on some of those uh, parts, and that's reshaped my yes, my understanding and speaking as well on uh, how, what, what is this beast uh, that we call FinTech about which I wrote a book last year or year before last and I'm still trying to figure it out uh, as to what is it really. But uh, I think the best place to start is, uh, as you mentioned, it's not really about uh, the finance or the technology or the details and so on and so forth. It's almost, uh, to me, sounds like... Uh, what is important is what you get out of it and what is inside the hood is really immaterial in some sense, right? It's a car, It uh, you can drive it, you can go from place A to place B, uh, whether it has uh, an internal combustion engine and or now an electric uh, you know, powertrain, which is very different. Obviously, there is a climate angle to it, but from the purpose of transportation, it's basically a means of transportation. I think in some sense, uh, we do tend to glorify uh, fintech and other fin or tech etc a lot but what is really the purpose of it all i mean what do, what do you think is really what what do you think really matters yeah i think at the end of the day you know i mean what's what's always kind of fascinated me is the problem statement you know um, um and i think defining a problem or understanding a problem to me has been always very central to the way i approach things um, i'm not so fascinated by solutions um, you know because i think they are very temporary um, you know, and some of them get successful, don't get successful. And I often now tell the theory also that if you have too successful a solution, you end up kind of uh, going on the decline because you get besotted with the solution rather than the problem. So I think the problem definition has been very important. And I think if you get to the core of it, at least in the space that we operate today, which is B2B trade finance, uh, I think ultimately the question really is that can you make the margins in trade? Can you make the trade itself more efficient, more you know, less friction, you know, um, more cheaper to kind of, uh, you know, uh, finance it? So you could look at the problem in multiple ways, but ultimately, I think from a business point of view, they have only three things they do, right? They buy, make, and sell. Um, you know, some of them don't even make; they only buy and sell. But you know, broadly speaking, they do that. And if you are able to kind of figure out how to make them do that much faster, larger, better, cheaper then I think that's probably the problem statement you need to hack at. And I think uh, what we are all trying to do in the fintech kind of space, at least the B2B side, um, is to try and see whether we can help demand, whether we can make supply of capital better, affordable, cheap, faster, or provide it to people who don't have capital. So I think that's many ways you can kind of skin that problem statement. And uh, what's I think really interesting, especially in India, and I think, you know, one of the things I think you, me, and all are blessed I think is to be in India uh, because I think, uh, you know, over the last 20, 30 years, we have seen all of it, right? I mean, the real difficulty of doing anything to now the real simplicity of doing a lot of stuff or taking for granted. Yeah. You only have to travel to US or some other countries to realize how blessed you are for certain things, at least to be in India. And um, I think it's fascinating because I think uh, what we are now getting, at least in India, is where fintech 
truly can leverage and when i say fintech i really mean tech um, and uh, then fin I can really leverage a lot of the wonderful stuff that is being built around us right the public infrastructure and all that and i think that's what is very interesting to me so i think the way i look at all our roles really is that you have regulated institutions and then you have people like us who are kind of exploring and discovering new paths mm-hmm. um and then then hoping to convince people who are coming behind us that this is the path to kind of come in um, either collaborate or compete or you know open it up uh, so we are literally are i think for a lot of the firms uh, being the first movers um in a certain direction and then uh, convincing others coming behind us that it's uh, the right direction to go so uh, i think that's really the role we have to play some of us just take whatever everybody is doing and make it better that's also obviously and better you know a nice way of doing it but i think uh, to i think a lot of fintechs or a lot of startups i've seen you know across all fields i think it's all about finding a new way of doing something and then convincing everybody coming behind them to this probably the way and i think uh, i think that's fascinating to me at least yeah yeah no i agree so so in a sense you know it's it's really helping improve the business working without getting caught up into technology uh, making money work uh, without getting into the nitty gritties of why and how money is really the in some sense raw material right and uh, uh, whether one likes it or not the the world revolves around money and that's like the life blood in some sense in a capitalist ecosystem so uh, and and technology is the way to actually make it happen uh, seamlessly invisibly uh, such that people can just do what they do and i think that's been in a sense your motto which i really really like because that's really what what it should be all about can a business really uh, uh, expand its growth uh, uh, sell more uh, pay uh, to its vendors on time and that kind of you know takes me back to one of the first things i remember when i had entered an office the board there was uh, something which uh, now has become very common place but it no longer is there in uh, in in the wine office is uh, and if i can move towards that which is one of the buzzwords of today's world called buy now pay later uh, so i think you were way ahead of time in terms of uh thinking about this uh um uh, probably what five years six years now and that is at least what i know you probably had it before yeah 2015 yeah. is when we you know we kind of thought about that space and i think yeah. uh yeah i mean look i mean as i said they are all, they are all obvious in in some sense in retrospect obvious answers to you know how how you should run things i think what was really i think uh, fascinating for me with the help of you know i think incredible people who joined us at the beginning and joined me in the beginning is that i think what we executed well was really trying to make the technology invisible um you know and, and that's really been one of my uh, you know uh, uh directions or at least thought processes has always guided me that um, i think the best way technology works is when it you don't have to realize you're interacting with technology yeah um and i think that's really what makes it fascinating to me at least and maybe that's just a cop out for me because i don't understand technology so i don't really like technology so i don't want to kind of interact with it maybe that's the real psychological reason but you know what i really like about the idea is that that if you can kind of harness all this power of tech that we have uh, around us harness the power of finance around us but not necessarily make everybody uh, you know know the nitty gritties of it or become experts at it or they can get around their business i you know i think every business guy we have met right and you and i have met many of them 
I think they don't spend more than maybe 15-20 minutes in a week thinking about finance. I think, uh, you know, they probably during the end of the month or when they have to pay someone or they have to, you know, re- re- repay the debt, they probably think about it. But, you know, otherwise, most of the time is going around how to make their business better uh, in some form or the other. And, you know, and I think that's really what we have to do in thinking about our solutions also. You know, we, I think one of the problems, uh, I think all tech companies have, including, you know, I think at some point we will have or we, we probably already have, He's thinking we are the center of the universe, yeah. um, you know, and and uh, I, I just find that very very strange because I think for most business guys we are just a facilitator, a catalyst, you know, or, or somebody in the peripheral who is making something better, uh, but not necessarily central to their um, you know reason for existence. Um, and I think that's something that we always have to recognize. You know, I mean, our job is to. At the original Google thing, I which I really loved was you know their motto was to for people to spend the least amount of time on their site. Um, right, uh, their idea was really that you would come there, you would find what you're looking for, quickly go to that place rather than spend time in Google. I mean, that was the original thing they started with. Oh, was and it? I think that was a very I fascinating. I, I didn't realize that. I mean, well, that was their original motto. They really the... wanted to make sure that you got to wherever you wanted to get to, and you spent fleeting seconds yeah. only with them. Uh, and that's why the, you know the first few results had to be the ones that you were looking for, right? You didn't have to scroll. Multiple pages to get the result. Of course, all that has gone under the, you know, that I mean, was at a time, and I think all of us were more innocent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at night. Yes. yes. So I, yeah, but I think that was a, that's a very, I think a very central way of looking at things. You know, I mean, I think you really, if you're a facilitator, if you if you if you are the, you know, I mean, the late machine, or you are the, um, you know, um, uh, production guy on the software, obviously you're center of existence, or you are the customer. But you know, if you are providing finance to make someone do something faster. Yeah, obviously you're important, but you know, you still are a catalyst. I mean, you you still are uh, someone on the periphery making things better. And I think you should recognize that, I think, very clearly in what you're setting out yourself to do. Yeah. So yeah. the dreams and dreams of paper, you know, I, I, you know I, I, I think collectively, globally, I mean, not just India, I think we all kind of, you know, I parcels a lot more than we should. Correct, correct. So we'll come back to the theme of uh, central becoming central, which can be called centralization versus decentralization, which is the new theme now. But before we come to that, I just want to go back to the buy now, pay later bit that is now suddenly becoming, you know, the the, the, the new shiniest buzzword and obviously something that may change uh, as it looks like the consumer uh, credit industry quite a lot, especially those who may not have adequate uh, coverage by the existing uh, systems uh, or the existing systems are not maybe uh, providing the best uh, services or experience to them. But uh, you mentioned about uh, India and US and the infrastructure about, uh, you know, the financial infrastructure or the public digital goods in India that are available uh, versus, let's say, some something like US or other countries. Uh, I just want to combine those two together and try to understand your perspective on what do you think of uh, something which is about, uh, you know, the buy now, pay later in the business world, which typically is uh, not yet very commonplace, but can significantly become so because it does uh, kind of meet a very important need. And I'm asking you this specifically because you saw it uh, long before uh, it became a buzzword. in some sense, I would say. So how do you think this is coming together uh, for India? And then, you know, if you can describe your experience in US as well as to how long it will take for some of the other countries to, you know, get to the same seamless experience. 
So I think, you know, let's just deconstruct this word, right? Buy now, pay later, essentially all it means is that, you know, I mean, and probably a lot of guys in the credit card industry are very aggrieved because I think they came across it much before uh, anybody else, really, right? And, or any form of EMI or VG Panirdas for some of us who are old enough who did the installment scheme on, you know, consumer goods uh, long back ago. So I, I think the, the fundamental, um, you know, if it's deconstructed, I guess, you really care taking a bet on someone who is ready to buy something and then you make that decision for him to buy something faster and easier because you tell him you don't have to worry about the money you have, right? And that, that's all the purposes. And I think somewhere in that buy now, pay later embedded in it is this notion that you can very quickly arrive at the fact that you can give him some loan uh, for whatever he's buying uh, at the point when he's deciding to buy, right? So in, in a lot of ways, buy now, pay later, really is about bringing the decision to lend someone money very close to the point of purchase uh, rather than a priori deciding something, right? I mean, so in a typical loan, you know, you assess you and then give you a loan and then you take the decision to buy something or do something. Here, it's all at the time of purchase. So I think that's probably what the term now means now. And I think one of the things about India especially is that the amount of information you possibly can get about someone, uh, it's about a Sanjay Farike or about a Vayana or about, uh, you know, uh, uh, Tata, you know, uh, industries or whatever, is a lot more before they even come to the point of purchase. So therefore, the decision making actually you can do a little better because you have a lot more information thanks to GST, thanks to, you know, other frameworks that we have built now and then BFC account aggregate, everything else. So a lot of information that you would want to get before deciding to extend a loan, uh, you don't really have to assess it at the time when that, you know, point of purchase is done. You can actually have it all stored with you and when someone comes to buy it, you already know them. Um, you know, and then in very terrifying ways, I think China has gone even beyond that. Uh, but, you know, I think in India, you have now this public infrastructure to ride it on. But central to this whole concept, I think the important thing really, I think we all have to worry about. And I think that at least on the consumer side, I'm very, very worried about is that do you know you've taken credit? Because when you make credit frictionless, um, you know, and credit fundamentally is an obligation. Um, if they, you know, if there are certain things in my life and probably I am little too old and therefore uh, you know of that view i believe certain things should not be frictionless uh, because you do want to make sure that people understand what they're signing up for right um, and i think in the business side well that is li less likely to happen but as you go down the 50 billion small businesses in india and start offering them credit on the tap you i think you need to be very very careful about um, what you're doing so i think um, you know the important thing at the point of purchase when someone is giving you credit is also to tell you exactly what your obligation is. And I think that's really the direction in which most people have to move to. Second, I think you have to get it repaid. Um, and I think, you know, RBI has woken up to that fact and, you know, there's a bunch of guys who are, even the US is kind of thinking about, the, you know, Fed has asked people to now look at the whole yeah. pay later. Australia. Yeah. One of the, Australia. I, I think a lot of countries are very worried yeah. Because a lot of it is because it's frictionless, it's happening and largely unreported in some cases. It is, you know, and it's private equity money that's actually going to fund a lot of it. So which means that you're not getting it directly from banking channels, which are, you know, regulated and report. I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, shadow lending that's happening, if I were to use the word shadow, yeah. uh, not in the mad, bad way, but, you know, just in terms of it being hidden. I think, uh, uh, Sanjay, can you hear me? Sorry. I can, I can. Yeah. Yeah, so I think uh, the, the key thing is to really figure out whether, uh, you know, money is coming back, making sure that credit qualities and credit attributes are getting captured. So I think India, I think, is much better placed in terms of its frameworks uh, to, um, you know, monitor and regulate that. And we have a very hyperactive central regulator. So I think uh, that will happen. 
I think in many other countries, the lack of public infrastructure, the lack of um, you know um, the decision making that a lot of these firms are using to give buy now pay later is murky, mm-hmm. um, and the fact that reporting is not so well defined. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the pain also might be a lot more than India. So I I think if at all there is some country that's well placed to think about buy now pay later is India, um, and 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 then figure it out because I think everybody is very clear about what sandboxes mean, and you know regulators are very clear about what the regulation should be. Uh, and the infrastructure is available. Uh, you know, public infrastructure is available. So I think the, the, those are the reasons. But I would still urge a lot of caution to make to most of my fintech friends is that don't make it frictionless. You know, I mean, uh, not, not credit. Um, you know, let let people know that there is some yeah. work to be done. Obligations uh, are important. You for you know it. your obligations, uh, and and only if you know, then you'll fulfill those obligations clearly. So. Uh, so yeah, I think I mean that right. So, but I think what you're saying is there is a huge potential to effectively create uh, um, you know flow of money happen to a lot of deserving people who currently don't get that money by reducing that friction, uh, while at the same time uh, not uh, making it so straightforward or. While while ensuring that the obligations are clearly understood and met, because only after the obligations are met will further growth be possible, right? That's the only sustainable way to create uh, growth. Otherwise, it will just be a one-time growth. People will push in capital and it will not get paid back. And you kind of seen those, uh, you know, uh, um, in the financial world, uh, what is called as crisis for some reason keeps recurring again and again and again, and sometimes global crisis sometimes country and so on and so forth so the only way to do it is in, is in a sustainable fashion everybody knows that while they get things easy it doesn't mean there is no strings attached i, I think i just want to add one point there I, I think one of the problems in india is that we have too many micro enterprises and at micro enterprise levels the net margins are very very low which is why you will find most bankers who have lent money a bank when i say bankers i mean all people who are in the regulated industry lending money to these micro enterprises they find that the money gets utilized for different other things than the stated purpose. Because the inherent businesses that these micro businesses are operating in have very low margins. So more capital thrown at it doesn't necessarily result in more absolute income coming to them. So then they like, like to look at things that are promising them super returns uh, outside their business. So I think one of the difficulties in India, if you really think about it structurally, is that a lot of the businesses are not just only totally difficult to scale up, they also, like in India, most businesses, they're very, very tough to uh, get money out of because the net margins are very, very low. So if you want to really think about credit, you also have to think about the where you're putting the credit to. So, you know, it's like opening a tap water and putting a small little mug there. It is going to overflow and it's going to find its way to the drainage, right? Uh, so you also have to look at the size of the bucket. You have to look at what is the container that you're putting the water into. So I think you have to be careful about a bunch of things. If you want to scale it up, look, I mean, you 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 do a small little experiment, or you're you're you are you know in a country of you know uh, GDP size of India, you're putting a 2,000 10,000 crore book on BNPL. That's fine. You know, I mean, it's not a systemic risk. It's not an issue. But uh, you know, when you start really scaling it up, because BNPL has a potential to be really scaled up. You know, uh, then you really have to think about it a little structurally rather than just look at it as, oh, yeah, you know, I'm making this whole process of getting credit to people who normally wouldn't get credit easier. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a very wonderful mythological tale I often like to use. It's Krishna Sudama, right? Um, you know, when uh, Sudama comes to meet Krishna, Krishna does, could have given him lots more. But at some point, his wife comes and tells him enough. 
right? Uh, don't give more. Uh, and I think it's a very, very important story, um, you know, thing to think about. You you need to give as much as is required, not more, and hopefully not less. But you know, and I think that's the important thing to really think about when you make credit um, on tap. Yeah, yeah, and and that also reminds me why wives are so important, right? Ultimately, as well. And... Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, never, I... never. <laughs> yeah, the metered credit uh, is is really important, and that's where I think the judgment. The so-called bankers' ability to discriminate and so on becomes important. And the trick is how do you make that happen in a technologically, uh, you know, um, seamless manner, such that you have the same judgment, which which really can make wonders at large enterprise level, funding the right thing versus not funding the wrong thing, etc. Happen at a really really micro scale. Uh, where you know you can't take individualized decisions, right? I mean, if you if you want to cover hundred million small enterprises, there's there's not enough great managers, there's not enough operations people to actually tally each uh, uh, entry, and they, they may not be even data as well. So, how do you really make sense of this and still offer credit where it's due in a metered fashion? I think that's really the biggest problem statement, which can actually potentially make uh, an entity. Uh, uh, unicorn, trinicorn, whatever, etc. Because it's a very, very large market, right? All said and done, and we are still scratching uh, pretty much the surface of it so far. Yeah, it's a hundred billion a month market on the trade side, um, and you know, and about fifty odd billion, give or take a few billion, uh, is something that simply does not formal credit does not access or provide for. So, right? So, whichever way you skim it, it's a very large market. I think, as you very rightly said, I think technology can really help you scale it up. Uh, but you know, it's also important that it scales it up in the right manner. You know, I, I, the reason I'm I kind of am stressing that a lot more than the technology and the potential for technology, because I think we are enough euphoric about technology and we are enough euphoric about what it can do. And I, I think for all the right reasons. I mean, honestly speaking, I, 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 you know, we all have seen the benefit of how things have changed over the last few years, right? But I think the important thing, really, in a country like India, where you do have a lot of subscale businesses. Uh, you have to be also, I think, careful about what kind of impact you are doing by providing credit. I mean, the fact that there was no credit um, and you swing towards where credit is easily available, um, you know, you just need to make sure it's a path. Um, you know, I mean, uh, it's not like a sudden thing. Um, yeah, so I think that you just have to be careful about that because everybody's getting excited about the opportunity. We are getting excited about the opportunity. You know that. Uh, you know, but the fact of the matter is that uh, you could cause harm also. Um, you know, so you just need to be careful a little bit about what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I think the technology has that. Uh, uh, you mentioned before. I think we started recording this mind distortion element to it, and I think that kind of I think gets people forget what it is really there for. So we'll, we'll come to the that part of technology, but maybe just one final point on uh, the um, you know the journey ahead from India to the rest of the world. If at all you want to talk about that a bit in terms of, you know, there are other areas where there are issues, there are cross-border trade, finance, uh, open account, uh, uh, while, you know, uh, the infrastructure may not be as, uh, the public digital infrastructure may not be as great uh, in, let's say, US as in India, still the market is probably 10 times larger. So how do you see some of these uh, things and maybe other markets as well, uh, Southeast Asia, ASEAN, which are growth engines, etc.? 
So I think you know, I mean, uh, one obviously, the, you know, in 2122, we are all talking about the decline of globalization. Uh, but you know, having said that, in absolute terms, it's still a very, very large number, right? Cross-border trade, um, and then of course there are a lot of countries where domestic trade itself is a very, very big component, right? There are at least about 25 or 30 odd countries which have domestic trade, pretty large numbers. Um, you know, if not in value, but at least in numbers. So I think if you look at those points of the elements, and you look at uh, you know, uh, sitting from India, you realize that. Actually, the problems are all the same, you know, and one of the things that fascinated me when I thought about why am I back in 2009 is that I came out of a lot of work internationally, actually, and uh, my original statement in Vienna when we started was actually this all the uh, being developed countries because I saw a greater need for it uh, than actually coming to India, um, you know, and, and it's just obviously like any other thing, you know, our journey is much more India now, right now. Uh, so I think there is a, the fundamental problems are the same. I, you know, I, I think. If you are below a certain size, there are not enough people interested in giving you credit or interested in talking to you about credit. Right. Um, and uh, the question really is, what is that size? You know, in the US market, you might have a lot of, uh, you know, businesses that we would consider mid-size. They are actually small there. Uh, so, you know, other than the size definition, I think the problem statement remains the same. And that's, I think, you and I have discovered it. It's pretty much the same problem statement everywhere, right? Whether you're doing cross-border, whether you're doing domestic, I think you are ending up with the same problem statement that how do you get two enterprises that are buying and selling from each other, create at the right time at the right price. And I think a lot of the frameworks that exist today, whether the letters of credit, documentary credit side, um, you know, which were great at one point in time, um, you know, and very interesting when we talk about blockchain and talk about, you know, two parties that don't know each other and therefore the level of trust is low. I, letters of credit really were trying to solve that problem in that space, right? I mean, sure. can you substitute two unknown parties with two parties who probably know each other, which are essentially two banks? Um, so I think if you really um, examine that, I think that documentary credit is kind of decreasing in importance. Open trade is coming in. And if the moment you have open trade, it becomes the same problem that's in domestic trade. You have somebody who's raised an invoice, he wants his money now. Or somebody who is, wants to pay it, he wants to pay later. And how do you kind of get that done between two entities in two different jurisdictions? And I don't think the answers are still at a level where you could say that they are um, you know, convenient to the businesses to access. So you know, I think a lot of the work that we all are doing is to make you know, what I would call kacha roads, right? Uh, Dust-driven roads. It is not that roads are not there. Um, or, you know, we are either trying to widen them, we are trying to smoothen them, we are instead of putting asphalt, we are putting concrete, you know, we are allowing the speeds to increase. Uh, so we are trying to build expressways out of what were properly, you know, probably dust, uh, you know, tracked roads or paved roads. So I think that's a work I think that is going to be kind of done in the uh, cross-border side. So, you know, one of the things that's very exciting, I think uh, both of us have realized, is that if the cross-border size is actually a huge disparity between the size of one entity that's dealing with the other. Given the way globalization has worked, it's actually a lot of very large guys in the developed markets buying things from a lot of very small guys in developing markets. Um, and then that's really where a lot of the trade finance work that uh, UI and everybody else in Vienna does and other fintechs too, I think really becomes very important because you know you were trying to make the bargaining power of the small guy um, as good as the large guy was getting and give the same kind of uh, access to credit that the large guys were enjoying. So I think uh, that's fascinating. I think... The other important thing I think why now we are doing and we are kind of very obsessed about is to reduce the cost of credit, right? Yeah. And I think that is a bigger thing for me, at least, in a, again, from a challenge perspective, is that how do you keep reducing the cost of credit for these small guys? Because then they can sell more, they can buy more. So I think the cross-border side, you know, other than foreign currency risk, other than geopolitical risk, I think the key question also is that 
how do you make, still make credit very simple to access for all of these guys? Uh, and of course, the yields are more, uh, you know, I mean, uh, because the trade is also a lot more larger and more lucrative in terms of margins. So I think uh, in, you know, India, is, you know, everybody trots out these numbers and I know exports um, have been on the upswing uh, yeah. recently, but you know, imports also have been on the upswing. Um, so if you anywhere, you can reduce the cost of financing that export-import trade uh, will be very good. And I think, uh, you know, the ITFS, uh, you know, uh, direction that we are heading towards to where we have got an in-principle sanction to set up, I think it's very fascinating to me because I think at one, it comes under a different uh, uh, lens. Um, you know, you have a new regulator, you have a, a structure like Gift City, which allows uh, you to think beyond India, um, you know, in terms of the people who can participate. Uh, there are no restrictions on the kind of parties who can participate. There's no restrictions on the kind of trade that can be financed. And the fact that you can establish international rules for a lot of lenders and insurance companies to come in. I think now you're suddenly opening it up, you know, and I think in a very, very big way. Um, of course, it's still different execution, but, you know, I think um, it is giving you the platform to kind of build very big. So I think it's, it's, it's going to be very uh, interesting. But last point I just want to make is that from, from a business standpoint, again, just going back to the customer, um, you know, the small business that we're working with, he's going to require uh, solutions for all the trade he does. Um, you know, he may be buying locally, selling abroad. He may be buying abroad, selling locally. He may be doing it in all combinations. He needs access to solutions that cover this entire gamut of trade. And I think in Vienna, what we are trying to do is to say that, look, I mean, we will provide you solutions for every trade you're doing, right? Every type of trade. You may be doing trade with large guys, small guys, big guys, India, abroad, whatever you do, we have a solution. So I think that's really the key thing. Yeah, yeah. So, uh... So I think in 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 nutshell, uh, we are fintech can be called as uh, one of the ways of transition of the old system into new system. The old system was banks, old system was documentary credit. New system may involve uh, newer things like ITFS, which is international trade financial uh, hub that will happen in Gift City uh, for cross border for for domestic uh, credit in individual countries instead of the uh, standardized uh, loan applications and then long uh, time to process and then give a loan and then forgetting about how the loan is performing, there will be a metered credit at the point of uh, where the sale or purchase is happening. So in a way, these are all new highways like you uh, or small roads, which will become new highways like you rightly uh, mentioned. Uh, you also mentioned a word which I want to then start uh, taking that to the technology side, which is the word blockchain. And uh, uh, in some sense, uh, uh, that is another, uh, you know, if BNPL is the buzzword of 2021, blockchain has been the buzzword, which has been increasing uh, starting from maybe 2015 to becoming a crescendo in 2021. And then again, uh, across multiple cycles going up and down, but to my understanding at the base of it is, uh, you know, really the, uh, what we were just talking about before, which is about how technology, which, uh, which was once a means to an end becomes, uh, uh, the, an, an end in itself. And I just want to talk about uh, maybe, uh, what, what you mentioned in some sense, uh, where Google started off from or where some of the other really, really great initiatives, which give us everything that we know today, whether it's from, you know, our, uh, our uh, connection to our friends, uh, uh, all the information in the world at our fingertips, uh, 
ability to book a hotel at a uh, you know at, at a point without ability to book a cab etc etc in reality all these are technologies which effectively give us uh, a lot of convenience comfort uh, getting everything sitting where we are uh, having this call for example another wonder of technology uh, but in in some sense all of them start to become more important than what they should be right in some sense they become centralized and and one of the ideas of centralization is that they start becoming uh, from behind the scene in front of the scene and they start at some point looking at uh, becoming the gateway to to our world right so uh, once i wanted to find what is there in the world and hence i found things seamlessly now what i see is is somebody deciding some algorithm at the back end which actually starts becoming a gateway so i think in some sense to my mind decentralization or blockchain as you rightly said from letter of credit to blockchain one very very beautiful example is just a way to correct that balance in some sense it starts off being as uh, as 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 good as uh, as that but eventually it can become uh, a beast in itself right and and that's probably one reason why regulators etc are not so comfortable with it on top of that obviously it disrupts them as well but what do you think about uh, you know are there are there any really good use cases of blockchain or decentralization uh, uh, theme that that will certainly play out in some shape form Yes, so Sanjay, you, you and I have discussed this, and you know, I've, I've, I've traditionally yeah, been skeptical. Yeah, but this was the benefit of the listeners, and uh, you know, so maybe you can yeah, yeah. So your skepticism a bit better, and you know, and 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 in some sense, yeah, yeah. So show yes, some I, I was positive aspects. Yeah, you know, no. So I was in the US recently, and I think one of the learnings I got really was that I was continuously arguing with someone about, uh, you know, how does it really solve the traditional problems. um you know better than our current solutions right and that's a general rabbit hole you go into when you are uh, discussing any new technology and to figure out you know why doesn't the current solutions still function far better than what we are throwing at me right and i think that's how the general path of skepticism starts and you know i think one of the interesting feedback i got was to you know not think about the problem also in the traditional way uh, you know if you really didn't think of the problem in a traditional way then you would find that you know a lot of the solutions are wrapping the dlt blockchain crypto whatever it is defi whichever you know your poison is i think they are really trying to solve a very different problem um, you know and not the current problems they're trying to solve a different problem i think and i think that's where really a lot of people like me who have spent a lot of time in the traditional world um, are finding it difficult to kind of figure out is because we're still looking at the old problems and saying oh no we have already solved it you know and what what new stuff are you guys throwing at me um uh, right so i think that's one aspect of it so i think where i really see the advantage of uh, this world and uh, i think it's going to take a long number of years to do it is whether you can do peer to peer at scale yeah right and i think that's fascinating to me because i think what uh, you know technology did over the last 20 25 years is that it allowed the freedom for anybody to innovate um you know i think it did that right i mean uh, anybody in the garage startups or you know small guys sitting somewhere they could figure out some way of innovating yeah. um and i think that that really pushed them worth a trillion dollars now maybe yeah correct so the 20 25 years that journey has allowed anybody with some dreams something to not um, you know make it a very costly exercise to innovate i think that's been a great boon of the technology and i think somewhere along the line that innovation slipped into who controls 
and i think uh, in a lot of ways what we are talking about now is a you know a retaliation against that problem that got created right who controls and we figured out we have this few guys who are the gatekeepers to everything and they control everything and that's kind of go away from there but that's again looking at it from a traditional lens where the journey that we came through and saying that this new journey is different i think if you were to kind of not take that approach and just say that today if you were to start something how would we do it mm-hmm. right and i think then you get very very different answers um and i think uh, for a lot of us who are thinking about this in terms of what oh, is old wine in new bottle or uh, new wine in old bottle you know the that's not there's no bottle and there's no wine it's a completely different thing so you you really have to get yourself adjusted to the fact that you're basically saying that there are 7 billion people in this world there are you know 5 million or 50 million or 100 million enterprises in this world um and if they were all wanting to kind of do work with each other talk to each other communicate to each other work with each other uh, directly um you know uh, then how do you manage this at scale um how do you make them uh, want to talk to each other discover each other engage with each other communicate they do business with each other then you suddenly start thinking about you know how would i go about designing an architecture something like this right yeah. um and then i think that will be very, very fascinating maybe just to add one layer of uh, magnification uh, there each of those 7 billion will probably have 10 devices on an average uh in times to come some of them may already have 20 devices today but on an average right. of them so you're basically talking about maybe 200 billion devices in addition to everything that you talked about which are entities yeah so i think yeah so i i, I think you're just going to see this you know i mean so so far we always kind of then uh, try to um, you know um, abstract it all into a certain set of patterns and saying that then these patterns will kind of interact with each other right i mean you you created some channels and you try to organize it uh, i think now what you are going to be able to do is to not organize it as much as allow a lot of people to talk to each other without having to be in part of some organized system right so at least that is the intent um but you know very strangely enough i think one of the uh, uh, problems we have and i think that's a problem as human beings uh, is that we are inherently tribesmen um you know we like to associate and you know become part of yeah. tribes social and, and then the yeah and i i i think the uh, i think the uh, reason why centralization will always come in or be at the back of the head is not just because of sovereign issues or because of regulatory issues or whatever it is i think people will feel the need to group themselves and then when they group themselves they will like to put a structure to it and when they put a structure to it they will need somebody who can manage it and then you want somebody to manage it you will have somebody to control it so i think that is a path so rather than getting bogged into this whole centralization versus decentralization debate uh, the fact of the matter is that if you could kind of uh, you know uh, exponentially think about when 7 billion people talk to each other and work with each other and communicate with each other and do business with each other do you create a much much more you know enhanced enriched ecosystem or business or environment rather than have these very specific channels in which people can talk to each other right you and i have to be in zoom to talk to each other right now right and so people who have zoom can talk to each other um as you know so the, there's a whole lot of implicit constraints can you remove all of that out and let people kind of talk to each other that would be i think the direction in which this technology goes it, it makes it lot lot more you know sensible you know a lot lot more different um if it continues to kind of fight in the manner that oh you were doing this before and this is a better way of doing it then i think it is always going to get itself caught in this crossfire of um, you know it is not so much better or it is not so better you know i i think that's the same kind of logical argument i got myself into 
until I decided that I'm not going to think about traditional problems. I'm just going to think about, I woke up today, uh, you know, and how do I start thinking about this world today? Right. And, and then I think you'll find it very, very interesting and fascinating to kind of go that direction. Um, the, having said that, I think it is going to be a journey. I think we are all in too much hurry to either get too excited about it or, uh, you know, too despondent about it or too cynical about it. I think it is going to take 20, 25 years for the entire thing to roll out. You know, and as someone said, you know, it's too early to talk about the French Revolution, whether it was good or not. Uh, you know, I don't know who made the statement. There's a lot of doubt about it. Same way, I think about, even about this kind of technology, I think you should wait for some time. You should let it play. Um, I think there are enough number of smart people who are trying different, different things. You let it play, figure out where it leads to. But if it kind of let itself to a better toast maker or a toaster, I think it will be such a waste of a lot of the talent, right? Correct. Uh, you know, if it can help us to reimagine whether we need bread or not, um, you know, then it's a very interesting experiment. If it is a question of, you know, uh, only, you know, changing it and making it a better toast maker, then I'm not sure, uh, you know, we all need to spend so much time thinking about it. Uh, so I think, you know, I, I have turned out to not necessarily be a DLP enthusiast uh, in, the, in that, that world because I am not just change my direction in the journey. Uh, I just took a completely different path of looking at it. And I think that it becomes very fascinating. So I, I would just suggest everybody trying to get into the space and if you look, especially in the fintech world that we are in, uh, really trying to think about, yeah, you have this 50, 60 million guys. I, I know I, you are part of a wonderful initiative that's kind of trying to think through that one also. How do you kind of get at scale a whole bunch of people to participate in economic activity and, and uh, access and then see how you can remove all the constraints around it, right? Um, as opposed to saying, oh, we have these systems and let us make it work with those systems. I, I think the moment you do that, you're unlikely to get anything that really moves in you. Um, you know, if, unless you're prepared to start from scratch, um, I think, uh, you know, just talking about how great this technology or great this thinking style is, I think it's not going to be great. Uh, you really have to combine it in a very, very different um, direction. Um, just say, okay, the problem statement is you have 50, you know, I'm working with the B2B world, I'm sure there are other people also. Uh, you know, there are 50, 60 million more micro enterprises. Uh, we've been trying to give them credit, forget all that. They are all doing business today. They are all are buying from someone and selling to someone. Uh, they're making something. Um, how do you kind of approach that problem and then figure out completely first principles onwards how you want to kind of do it? Then you will have a lot of very interesting stuff. I think the moment you try to layer current solutions to that, say, oh, there is an invoice and there is a mechanism of payment and there is a central bank and there is a payment regulation. I think you bring all those elements in, then you are not going to come up with a solution that's really going to move the That's my opinion. Uh, you know, uh, when you do long 18-hour flights, um, I think you really get a lot of time to introspect uh, after you finish all the movies that you wanted to see. I think uh, you you really, if you start thinking about it from first principles, I think it's a very fascinating way to go. I mean, you know, if I look at BitTorrent, um, you know, and I, I look at it uh, as an example of what you could do to availability of information that anybody would give to anybody um, or media. Similarly, you start saying finance, you have money, I don't have money, can you give it to me? Uh, can you make it that easy? Um, you know, and then you have very, very interesting elements. Uh, coming into it. So I think, you know, at least that's where my uh, thought processes are right now. Uh, you know, it's just trying to forget what I was doing for the last 27 years uh, or uh, forget what all solutions and tools I brought into that problem statement and saying, 
I've reformatted myself. I've started today. Um, you know, I'm looking at this and saying, what, what is the direction you're going? And then you suddenly find all this new stuff. You know, DLT is not new. I mean, I think they also have answer some time. But in all of this stuff, suddenly uh, coming as very, very feasible, possible ways of solving the problem. Um, and I think from first principles, they seem to work for me right now. So that's been a big change in my direction, at least of thinking. Um, uh, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I mean, that, that's my thinking. Yeah, yeah. No, I, that, that's uh, well understood. I think it really has to start from the problem statement. I think that's really true from the first thing that you said on this podcast to the last, which is, you know, going from the problem for uh, the enterprise, how does it get funded for um, what is generally called working capital in a seamless manner to how the whole system could reorganize itself from what it is to uh, using new technologies. But again, the problem statement becomes important. Obviously, the problem statements do change over a period of time as well uh, as you know life becomes um, different, probably more complex and so on and so forth. So there is room for some change in problem statements, but yeah, it still has to start from the problem statement. And uh, you're right, I think I'm kind of uh, thinking through some of those things uh, as, uh, you know, as part of Iceberg, we just came out with this uh, Bharat uh, distributed ledger, uh, just a way ultimately to drive towards towards uh, peer to peer, which is what you talked about, right? I mean, and in some sense, internet actually started off as a way for peer-to-peer happen. Uh, and I was just reading this book by, uh, in fact, Nandan Nilekani, uh, who started uh, you know, doing a lot of work in this area. And I think he was the one who guided Vayana towards uh, GST as well, if I remember. Yes. So, you know, yes. doing invoice matching, then you've got to be in GST. And and lo and behold, uh, Vayana is the largest GSP in, in the country. Uh, thanks to all the work uh, that has been put in uh, over the last three years. So oh, two two second conversations can change the course of your business. Uh, you know, it was a two second conversation. I yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I, I kind of take that book. Uh, it's a very fascinating book. I think I would suggest everybody read it. It's called Art of Bitfulness. Uh, um, and one of the things it talks about is, uh, you know, while internet started with this, uh, uh, you know, idea of making uh, things peer to peer happen. They made peer-to-peer information happen, but they did not have the payment layer. And what happened in the last 20, 25 years is a lot of other intermediaries came in actually to make those payment layers, which were missing by coming in and providing trust to that. And is there a way for the new system now to emerge such that we can go back to the original promise of internet, right? And in some sense... uh, uh, no, but I just want to add there once again. I, I think one should not get disappointed if yeah. it turns out that it continues that direction. Right. Uh, because, you know, because I think you will find that, uh, you know, like there's a fantastic, uh, you know, argument that started on the uh, centralization, even on, um, you know, what was what's being called Web 3.0. I, you know, mm-hmm. I don't agree with that terminology, but, you know, let's assume that that's what we can want to call all of the stuff. You know, people saying that there are still gatekeepers now, you know, or there are certain, yeah. uh, you know, certain services. Yeah. In, in many surveys, it is actually a very logical outcome. Uh, it's a very logical outcome of, you know, um, uh, you know, the way people will try to solve problems. Uh, it is much easier to kind of be efficient, fast, agile, if it is centralized. I mean, you can't even avoid it. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I would not try to judge this whole journey 
And I, I started that way. I, I started that way by debunking this whole thing by saying that nothing was really centralized. I mean, everything was nothing was decentralized, and that's why this was nonsense. Uh, to saying that you know this is a new path, but this new path end up getting a lot of the failures of the previous paths also because those failures that we see today uh, were very logical outcomes of uh, you know the way things had to progress. So I I, I wouldn't uh, you know kind of. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, say that we are not going to repeat the old mistakes. Um, I, I think we will, uh, if you call them mistakes, I think you will end up probably on some path. But the idea really, and what is fascinating to me is that, uh, you know, it, it is like uh, start writing on it. Uh, maybe you'll write the same novel you wrote before, but you know, at least it will be a new novel. Uh, <laughs> it will be a new way of thinking. It will be a new thought process. It's a new morning. Uh, and I think that's what you should look at it as. I, I think trying to invest too much into it that this has to be the brilliant uh, thing that everybody talked about uh, remaining brilliant, I think is uh, too much to ask for. I, th I think it will went its way. It will find its way. Uh, let's not get bothered about it. But the fact of the matter is, if you've taken the problem as peer-to-peer -peer, and you've talking, taken the problem of peer-to-peer -peer at scale and you've talked about the problem of everybody being able to kind of participating in it equally, um, if that's your dream, um, you know, and I know we have a lot of systems. You said capitalism, but you know, communism, socialism. Everybody is trying to solve this problem of how people can lead more meaningful lives, right? And they came up with their own solutions, and then you know, the ideologies overtook uh, the original solutions. Um, and I think that's I would suspect that the same thing will happen even to this new fantastic technology we're talking about. Let's not get too bothered about it. And right now, the journey is all about reimagining it. So let's reimagine it. I mean, let's kind of put it on paper. Uh, let's take it where it goes. And let's not condemn it already. I want to expect too much out of it. I, I, you know, my, my one, everything new is that people have so much expectations out of it. And then they try to kind of take it as they are, so, you know, panacea for all problems. Uh, you know, this is having you to think differently. You might end up in the same place is not necessarily uh, unlikely. Uh, you might end up in the same place that you had with the earlier technologies. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, so be it. Yeah. But it'll take 20 years. So, you know, uh, you know, we have 20 years of experimentation still ahead of us. And then there'll be something new that'll come up after that. So it's okay. Sure, sure. So in some sense, uh, I've always seen that when I go watch a movie, if I have uh, very little expectations, on an average, the movie turns out to be better. So, you know, in some sense, <laughs> it's really that. Yeah, I, I, I listened it in my first startup as theory of low expectations. Uh, you know, I, 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 I just realized that you know it leads at least more contentment right. if you go without uh, too many expectations. Um, you know, it's, it's just enjoy the time that you're spending the movie. At least enjoy the popcorn. You know, if you don't like the movie, also, uh, and if it's air conditioned and nice seats, at least have a good sleep. Uh, in the theater, <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you can always find something useful yeah. uh, if you don't have too much, too many expectations. Yeah. No, but I think, look, honestly speaking, I think you know we all have to be grateful uh, in many ways to be where we are today, right? I mean, uh, I think there is a lot of interesting stuff happening. You know, a lot of things that we could not take for granted twenty years back, now we can take for granted. Um, I think uh, you know, so let's take it from there and say, look, what do we do with this? Um, and I think that's fascinating to me. I mean, I know, I mean, what keeps me ticking and full of, still full of energy is the fact that I, I just see myself at the start of a journey rather than saying I've traveled so much and I've got another five miles to go. I'm like, I started today. Okay? So, um, and then this is fascinating to me. You know, I mean, uh, it, it's like, a, you know, I, what I felt 27 years back. That's that's quite amazing, actually. And that's one of my favorite uh, uh, 
uh, way of looking at it as well. I, I know you're not on WhatsApp, so you probably will not see it. That's my display line. It's called beginning from zero to infinity, right? So you're always at that point, which is point zero, and you know, world is just evolving in some sense, and you can do a lot. And so I know uh, uh, this can go on and on, and it's always very fascinating to uh, to kind of discuss these ideas and get more and i'm hoping that the listeners are also getting a lot more uh, than what they've heard thought before uh, but i just don't want to uh, pack it all in one i would let's say do an installment on this also by now pay later types so uh, let's take some of these themes in a subsequent one uh, uh, this would in any case be the longest podcast uh, so far at least at uh, so far kept it like half an hour or thereabouts some went no, no, you can edit it you can edit it uh, i think it's massively editable <laughs> <laughs> that's again the low I, I think it will reduce to 5 minutes <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i think no I, there's so much to learn from you here as usual and uh, one of the things it's about this whole balance uh, in life right in terms of whether it's technology whether it's new old etc etc ultimately coming back to your tale of krishna and sunaba sudama uh, and and we do have a friend whose name is who's a common friend who's krishna as well right and he talks about this thing about balance between decentralization and centralization ultimately you need both and that's really all there is about it right you need balance in everything actually and don't get too too hyped up about anything so i think that's that's my learning from this episode every episode i hope to learn something and this is my learning but yeah if you have any uh, final uh, sort of uh, few comments and then uh, we, we can bring this episode to a close and reassemble again you know yeah i i think i what i always you know tell myself at least and remind myself and i tell everybody who i meet uh, you know get fascinated by the problem don't get fascinated by the solution um, you know i mean uh, if you keep the problem statement in front of you and keep refining it i think the solutions will come automatically i think the fundamental thing is just understanding what you're trying to solve and i think if that's great enough that's inspiring enough you know you, you find your own problem statement that you like solving uh, solve it you know i mean uh, do it, you know don't get too upset about the solution or get too hyped up about the solution or do attracted towards the solution because that is temporary uh, so you know I, i think if you do that i think you will get a lot of what krishna likes say like contentment uh, <laughs> because you and you will always be i think uh, you know fresh in the morning yeah uh, because no problem is truly solved uh, so you know it it will at least keep you continuously running true true uh, so 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 nice to talk to you here and uh, um, once again get inspired uh, focus focus on the problem uh, solutions will come uh, solutions you can invent as well uh, but but problem is important and let's hope that uh, we keep focused on that and uh, we at least inspire five other people listening to this podcast find big problems uh, but focus on the problems and maybe at least one of them solves in a big way i think uh, we would have done something with this podcast so absolutely yeah. talk to you soon yeah uh, thank you so much thanks uh, a lot for this uh, uh, interesting engaging conversation and we'll pick this up in a subsequent episode uh, uh, hopefully within the next few months again Okay talk to you soon thank Sanjay. you bye that was another episode of uh, fintech friday podcast uh, signing off uh, sanjay here